I'd like to welcome you to Union Baptist Church. And as we begin, uh, we're going to have our scripture reading from Psalm 119 this morning. Our call to worship will be Psalm 119. We'll start with uh, verse 129 and read through 144. This is the longest chapter, by verses anyway, in the Bible. Here's God's word. Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your word gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I want you to keep that concept in mind. The unfolding of God's word gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise, and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppression, that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant, and teach me your statutes. For my eyes shed streams of tears, because people do not keep your law. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. You have appointed your testimonies in righteousness and in all faithfulness. My zeal consumes me because my foes forget your words. Your promise is well tried, and your servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is righteous forever, and your law is true. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. Will you pray with me? Fathers, we look to your word this morning. We are reminded that the unfolding of your word gives light. It, it imparts understanding to the simple. And so, God, what we see here is the acknowledgement that the psalmist makes that, that it is your word that teaches and instructs the mind and instructs the heart of man. That, that yes, we learn many things, and, but the needful things, the most important and the eternal matters come as we, as we read your word. They teach us, Lord, and your word says in in Paul's writings that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And so, Lord, we see the, the connection here with the Psalms. It's that unfolding. It's your word that gives that light. It imparts understanding to the simple. But what we also see in the Psalms here, God, through this psalmist is the right response of our heart. And so, God, we need to pray for this. Your word does what it does. But, God, our hearts don't always act like they ought to. In fact, we, we often do what we ought not to do. And, and we often fail to do what we should do. And so, God, we recognize as we read your word this morning that it tells us that it is the truth that we need, that it does impart wisdom to the simple and gives understanding. But, God, so often we don't respond to it as we ought to, but we see the psalmist. He loves your word, God. He wants to be steady in keeping your word. He wants to, to, to obey your word, and he is zealous and, and emotionally uh, spent, God, because he fails at times and others fail at times to keep your word. And so what I'm praying for now is that you would help us to have the corresponding heart that delights in your word. God, we confess to you that so often we don't. So often we hear your word and it goes in one ear and out the other. But we pray this morning as we gather here to hear your word preached, as we sing your word uh, through song, that you would open our minds to understand it and our hearts to love your word that through your word you would bring encouragement and, and peace and, and salvation and life and hope and encouragement and that you would help us, God, to, to respond as we ought to, to love, to delight in, to obey, and to understand your word because, God, without your help, what we do here this morning is pointless. Without your presence, God, we could be somewhere else and be just as effective, but we pray and long for and expect the presence of Christ with his church this morning, and we ask that you would come in life-giving power and grant us, God, what you command to us, that we might fulfill what you have commanded this morning through the grace of your Holy Spirit. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's have our ushers come forward at this time for our offering this morning. Just a reminder that uh, the missionary that we're trying to emphasize this month is uh, Barry Corder, Corder, who's going to uh, Georgia, and he is still in the process of raising funds and trying to get there. So let's be in prayer that the Lord would bless him, provide the funds that he needs, and help his family be able to transition 
uh, to the country of Georgia. So pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the power that comes to us through uh, the blood of Christ. It is the power to wash away our sins, the power to bring forgiveness, the power that brings new life to us. And uh, we praise you for that this morning. We, we do lift up Barry Corder and his family to you, God. We ask that you uh, would guide this process that they're in. And I, I know it probably feels... Um, perhaps for him uh, a bit like an anxious process, Lord. He, he wants to be there. He wants to uh, get to Georgia, and yet uh, there's the need to raise these funds. We pray that you would uh, provide that, that you would meet that need. We pray that you would quiet his heart in this uh, time while he waits, that you would help him trust in your sufficiency and in your provision and in your timing. Uh, we pray for his family as they are preparing for this, Lord. He's got several children. We, we ask, Lord, that uh, the transition for them would be a smooth transition. And, and we pray for your blessing when they get there, Lord, that, uh, that, that much fruit would come about through this ministry. God bless us today. We, we ask that as we give, we would give cheerfully. Uh, we pray that you would uh, give us ample provision uh, for the ministry here and for the ministries that we support. And we ask all of this in the name of Christ. Amen. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Ruth. Children can head out there. The book of Ruth. We'll be bringing our series through this book to an end uh, today. And uh, we're going to be kind of seeing the, the end of the story. And so we're going to be in Ruth uh, chapter 4 and... Uh, We'll start reading it really at verse 11. It says this, Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together build up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathath and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons have given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Well, we come to the conclusion of the story. We said that there are, there are three themes that we've seen throughout this story. Uh, the theme of God's providence working in the life of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. Uh, we, we've seen the theme of love, the love that's been displayed from Boaz to Ruth, and then uh, the, the love that was displayed from Ruth to Naomi. Uh, and so we see love and, and, and we see uh, redemption as well, the, the redemption that occurs in the life of Naomi and Ruth. Uh, they are redeemed from all of their troubles and the peril uh, that they are in. And, and in a sense, uh, Boaz is the redeemer of, of Ruth and of Naomi. We've seen each one of those, and we bring this series to a conclusion this morning, and we really uh, want to look once more at the providence of God that's at work in this. We'll see those other themes as well, I think, in, in what we see in this last little scene that is given. Uh, but, but as we think about God's providence once more, I want us to realize that there, there are two things, there are two truths that are, that are absolutely essential. They're absolutely true about God's providence, and they're always true about God's providence. This is the first one. God is always working for the good of his children, the good of his people. 
And everything that God does, we, providence is, is God's control, his sovereign control of, of all things. And in all of his providence, he is always working for the good of his children. Romans 8, 28 tells us this truth. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things, all things work together for good for those who are called to his purpose. Now, we need to realize that that's an ultimate kind of statement. Uh, in the midst of some of our circumstances, it's difficult to see how this could be a good thing. When, when, when Naomi and when Ruth were experiencing these hardships, it was hard in that moment to realize what God was doing and how that was going to play out. Uh, but but none, nonetheless, we can say in their life, as this story comes to a conclusion, that God was working all things out for their good. And, and we're going to see even for our good in this story. God is always working all things out for, for the good of, of his people. You know, uh, sometimes that, that comes after a period of, of trial and, and hardship. And, and yet what we see is that it's always the case. God's providence, this is the second truth, God's providence is always working to bring him glory. God's providence is always working to bring him glory. Everything that he brings about is, is meant to bring him glory. Now glory, when we talk about bringing glory to God, glory uh, is that quality of a person or a thing that, that puts you in awe. It, it, it's the awesomeness of a person or an individual or uh, of an event that elicits praise. And, and so when we talk about bringing glory to God, what we're not saying uh, is, is that these things give glory to God that he doesn't already possess. When we talk about bringing glory to God, what, what we're saying is it, it, is it illustrates God's glory. God is glorious. He is awesome. He is wonderful. And all the events of providence really show us uh, show us his glory. They bring glory to God. When we say providence is always working to bring glory to God, we mean that it is always in the end, it always in the end displays how awesome and how wonderful God is. Now we, we will see that in this conclusion as well. But let me say that both of those things happen. The, our good and the glory of God, both of those things are accomplished in providence through a process of redemption. Providence brings about God's glory and the good of his people in a particular way. Do you see God's providence works in a certain way? So sometimes we talk about things like the providence of God and we'll say, uh, I've heard people say it's the mysterious providence of God. And now there is some truth to that, isn't there? There, there are times when from our vantage point, it seems this is mysterious. Why, why is God working this way? Why are these particular things happening now? Or why are they happening in this way? There's a mystery to it. And, and the mystery is that, that we don't really fully understand all that God is doing. But, but let me tell you that in, in another very real sense, there is no mystery to God's providence. Because we know what God is doing. He's working for our good and for his glory. And, and he's always working through a process of redemption. There's a redeeming process that's going on that's going to bring him glory and it's going to work out for our good. So, so we may not know the particulars. And yes, in that there is a mystery. But we do know this. God is going to redeem his people. Have you ever watched a movie? I've seen a few movies like this and they're so unsatisfying, right? You, you watch a movie and, and the plot is unfolding and you're waiting for something good to happen. You're waiting for that moment of redemption. You're waiting for when everything's going to work out and you can say, okay, there, there it worked out. And, and then it just kind of ends. And you're like, what, what was that? It, it's almost as if the, the story didn't have an ending and they just thought, ah, let's, let's just go with it. You know, let's just put this out there. And, and the, it just, it's not as if it ends. It really just stops. The movie just stops. You're like, wait, wait, what happened to the guy? Did, what, did they get back together? What, what happened? Am I the only one who's ever seen movies like that? I, I, I've seen several of them in, in my lifetime, and they're always unsatisfying. But what we can know about God's providence, and we learn that in this story of, of Ruth, is that's never going to be the case. God, that's not the way God works. Uh, we, we will be satisfied. It, it may not be 
in this lifetime. It may not be this year. It, 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 may, it may be long term. It may be in eternity. Uh, God's providence works and unfolds in different timing for, for different things. Uh, but we can be sure of this. When all is said and done, we will see that God is glorious. And we will see that he was working for our good. And we will see that that happened through a process of redemption. And so we, we get a little picture of this. Whenever it is that we see how everything unfolds, we will be like the Apostle Paul and we will say as he does in Romans eleven thirty three, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgment, uh, judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Ruth and Naomi, they didn't know the mind of the Lord. They didn't know why they were going through these things. Who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. That's, that's what Paul says as he understands the redemptive plan of God. And as he looks at it, he says, God is his, his thinking is, is unbelievable. It's past understanding. It's, it's inscrutable. Uh, we, can't, we can't blame God. There's no blame uh, in the way that he's unfolded. It, it is altogether wonderful. And that's what we will say when we come to understand the full picture of all that God is doing in our life. And that might be next week. It might be in a year from now. It might be when we stand in heaven and we're able to have a better perspective and look back on our life. That's the same thing that we will say about every act of God's providence in our life. And that's what we see in Ruth and, and Naomi. They took sort of a broken road, but they end in a place in which God has blessed them. So how does God work for their good and for his glory in, in the ending of this story? And I want to just highlight several things that, that I believe we would say this is a good that God did. This was good for them, and it brings glory to God. And these are listed on, on the back of your bulletin if you have that uh, and want to take notes. But it, the first thing that we see is that God restored what was lost. God restored what was lost. He, he gives them a child. This child is clearly a gift from God. Boaz and Ruth marry uh, and, and they have a child. And, and we see that the, the expectation, the, the understanding of everyone in this text that, that, is that this was a direct divine act of God in, in this situation. We see in the prayer of the men as, as Boaz makes uh, Ruth his, his wife, uh, we see it in, in their prayer. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who's coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. So this is a prayer of expectation. May God bless you. May God give you a family. May God give you children. May God make you fertile. This, this was a sign of God's divine favor. They understand that. And then in verse 13, when she actually gives, has a child, do you see what it says in verse 13? So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. He went into her and he, the Lord gave her conception. That's an odd way to say it, but, but the writer here is emphasizing God's divine action. Everything that's been happening throughout the entirety of this story has been an act of God. And, and the writer doesn't want us to miss this either. This was the hand of the Lord here. The Lord is the one who gave her uh, a, a child. Now that might not seem like such a big deal if it were not for the fact that we realize that, that Ruth has been married before. She's been married perhaps as much as 10 years uh, to Naomi's son before he, he passed away. Uh, and she had never had a child before. So, so the, the indication could be that, that perhaps she was infertile, that she, for whatever reason, had not had children uh, in her previous marriage. But now she has children immediately, and it seemed to be an act of God. We see it as well in the women in verse 14 and their response. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And so there's, there's a prayer beforehand. May God give you children. And then there's the act, God actually giving them children. And then there's the recognition afterwards. This is what the Lord has done. He's not left you without a redeemer. He has given you a, a child. This child means so much to them. It means so much more 
This child means so much more to the nation of Israel and to us here today, but to them this meant so many things. Uh, we see in verse 15 the, the response of, of, again, the women and what they say, he shall be to you, speaking to Naomi, he shall be a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, literally a nourisher of your gray hair. In other words, I think two, two implications there. One, he's going to restore your life. Uh, Naomi had come to a place in her life where, where all was lost. She lost her husband. She lost her children. She was by herself. And then this, uh, then this Moabite girl kind of tags along with her. But, but she feels as if she has lost everything. And, and with that, you can imagine the kind of depression, the kind of a sadness that had overcome her, the kind of outlook that she had on life. Don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, for the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. She had a very negative view uh, about the outcome of her life, but now the Lord has turned that around. This child is going to be a restorer of your life. He's going to bring joy back into your life. He's going to give you purpose. And not only that, not only is he going to restore your life, but he's going to nourish you. He's going to take care of you, in other words. And again, we talked about that last week, how family was so central uh, they didn't have Medicare and, and retirement. You depended on your family. So widows were in a particularly difficult place in, in, in terms of their old age. There was no one there to care for them. But now the Lord has provided for her. He has restored what was taken away. The Lord has blessed her once more. What a wonderful thing. She was alone. Now she has a family. Her, her children were taken from her, but now a child is given to her. She was without a future, but now she has a future. She was without hope, but now she has hope. The Lord has restored his blessing in her life. I think that teaches us something about God's restoring grace. This is one of the good things God does in trials, is his restoring grace. This, this is something that's true. When God, when God leads us through trials... He often has a place, has a plan rather, to restore what is lost, even in this life, even in this life, often. I don't say always. There, there are sometimes trials are, are never turned around, and, and they lead uh, ultimately even to our death in terms of, of physical things. And, and in those cases, uh, it will only be in heaven that these things are restored, but there God will restore. But often in our lives... God restores what has been lost, even in this life, in a, in a measure. That was the case of Job, wasn't it? You, you remember the story of Job? He lost everything that he had, and he's, he's racking his brain. He's trying to figure out why is this happening. There was no explanation given, but, but in the end, God does restore once more to, to Job. We see this in, in Joel in the way that God deals with, with his people, he brings judgment on them. He brings famine. Uh, he, he brings uh, pestilence, which eats up their crops. And then in Joel 2.25, it says this, I re will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. We see this in the life of the psalmist as, as well. There's an expectation that the psalmist has that God's going to turn things around. In this lifetime, we, we know in heaven, we know in eternity, but, but sometimes I think we fail to recognize that, that very, very often God turns it around in this life. He restores what is lost. So Psalm 43, 5, why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. You see, the psalmist is looking forward. I'm in the middle of this trial, but I know God's going to restore things. I know there's going to be a moment when he, he, he's put me down, but he's going to raise me up. And when I'm in that moment, I will again praise the Lord. We see this in Psalm 13, 1 as well. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? There's a, there's a recognition. I'm in the midst of this trial, but there's a time coming. I know. It's just a matter of how long do I have to wait for that to, to come? And then Psalm 30, verse 4. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing, and you have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my, my glory may sing your praise and not be silent, O Lord my God, 
I will give thanks to you forever. Do you see there the, the psalmist recognizes that, that the discipline of the Lord is, is momentary and, 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 and that the Lord once again restores his favor. And he sees that at the end of, of that psalm where you've turned my mourning into dancing. And maybe you're here this morning and maybe you're in the middle of one of those trials. Maybe you're walking through that and, 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 and you know, the sound of, well, one day in eternity, everything will made, be made right. That sounds so distant and so future. And I, I would just say to you uh, this, I, I don't think it's wrong to have an expectation and a prayer and a hope that God will restore what has been lost. God, God will bring you out of this moment of trial. It's not wrong to anticipate that. It's not wrong to pray for that. It's not wrong to hope for a time in which God's favor will be restored in your life. Yes, we anticipate heaven, and yes, we long for that eternal redemption, but so too should we long for redemption in, in this life. And I think in, in some senses, that's even expected, that we should do that. It's such a horrible thing when, when we lose hope in, in this life. And we know our ultimate hope is not in this life, but, but I don't think we should ever get to the point where, where we just lose hope that God is going to once again bestow his favor upon us. The second good thing that God does and glorious thing that he did in this story, God gave his people a taste of, of true love. Through, through all of this. What was God doing? Uh, well, well, we see his goodness in restoring his favor, but we also see his goodness in allowing them to, to get a glimpse of this kind of love. We talked last week about and really focused on Boaz's love uh, for Ruth and, and then by extension to, to Naomi. Uh, but, but you realize that they wouldn't have experienced those things had they not been through this. Uh, they would not have experienced those things had they, had they not been through this. Now, we, we see in this text not just the love of Boaz, but what's highlighted here is, is the love of Ruth for, for Naomi. And we see it from the lips of, of the women. In verse 15, it says, He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Uh, again, Naomi almost seems in this story to kind of overlook Ruth and the blessing that she is. But, but she, she, these women don't miss it. It's not lost on them. This, this woman that has loved you so well, she, she left her family for you. She came here to, to be with you and to care for you. And now, uh, through this whole process, she's produced a child that, that will be a restorer of your life and a, a nourisher of your old age. This woman is a great blessing to you. And so it's only through this trial uh, that Naomi experiences that. You know, the reality is, unfortunately, uh, that so often we, we kind of see the negative side of people. We, we kind of see the, the negative view of humanity. And, and really, often it's through times of trial that we see people display acts of love and kindness that really ought to be more prominent in, in our lives. But, but so often through those trials, we get to see people in, in a light in which we see them expressing the love and the kindness of God. Have you ever been through that? Maybe it's a death of a loved one or some tragedy that you've been through and, and, and people that sometimes you would never expect step up and, and do something that's sort of extraordinary. Uh, so, some act of kindness, some display of love. And, and that's one of the things that God does uh, in the midst of our trial, trials, he, he gives others the opportunity to express that love. It's an opportunity for them to, to display the character of God. And it's an opportunity for us to see that and to receive that. And, and that's one of the good things that God has done in the life of Ruth and Naomi and, and Boaz. You know, sometimes we don't see the, the good that God is doing because we don't have eyes for it. We're so fixated on the problem itself, and, and that appears to be what, what uh, is going on with Naomi. She's so fixated sometimes on, on her own problems that she just fails to look uh, to, to her immediate left and see that there, there's Ruth with her. There's Ruth caring for her. There's Ruth loving for her. You remember when she came back, she said, I went away full and I've come back empty. But that wasn't true at all, was it? 
Ruth was there with her. She had not come back empty. And Ruth was going to be the means of God's blessing in her life. Ruth was going to be the means of provision for her. Ruth was going to be God's, God's display of love for her and care for her. And so sometimes we miss it. Oftentimes some of the, the greatest things that God is doing in our life is just simply drawing us closer to each other. Giving us the opportunity to receive that love. And, and when others are going through trials, giving the opportunity to, to express that love. Thirdly, a, a third good thing, a glorious thing that, that God is doing is that God is revealing his gracious character. He's revealing his gracious character by bringing an outsider into his saving purposes. One of the central truths of, of the gospel is this. We, we don't deserve God's grace. Like if you don't understand that, if you don't understand that you don't deserve your, your good, your, God's favor or God's blessing or to, to go to heaven or salvation or anything like that, if you don't understand that you do not deserve that, you don't understand the gospel. We don't deserve to be included in God's redemptive purposes. Our sin has separated us from God. In, in a sense, we are outsiders. We're, we're outside of of his purposes yet despite that fact the fact that we have sinned and placed ourselves outside of God's fellowship he brings us in and he includes us when when he doesn't have to and and because that's a central truth remember I said that that when we look to the Old Testament and we see stories like this one of the things that we're meant to see is is to see reflections of the gospel and that's what, exactly what we see in the story of Ruth and, and Naomi. We see that reflection of the gospel. We see God going out and getting Ruth and bringing her in to his redemptive purposes. Right? God had a people. It, it was the people of Israel. Uh, this was his chosen people. This was where God was dealing with humanity, was with the nation of Israel, the descendants of Abraham. This, is, this was God's saving purposes. But sometimes, just so God understands his graciousness, he goes outside of that, that little cluster there, and he reaches out and he gets somebody like Ruth, and he brings them in and says, look, look how I operate. I go get somebody who doesn't deserve it, in this pagan nation that is worshiping other gods, and I bring them in and I include them in my saving purposes so that you can understand this truth of the gospel. That's you and me today. We don't deserve to be included. We don't deserve to be part of God's plan, but that's precisely what he's done. He's reached out, he's extended his mercy out to us, and he has drawn us in. And God is saying, look, this is how I operate we see this. We don't have to look too much further than this story to see other examples. You see it in verse 12 as well in the blessing that they praise, that they pray on, on Boaz and Ruth, the, the, the men at the gate. And it says, and may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Now that, if you know that story, that's a sordid affair. I mean, Tamar, and I don't even have time to get into all this, but Tamar was a Canaanite woman. Uh, the the she her husband died and and she in in a very stealthy way uh, tricks her her father-in-law into uh, being with her uh, and then produces this this son Tamar but this was somebody that was not included in God's plan and through all of this sort of broken messed up messy situation God includes her in the redemptive plan and, and so I think part of the reason that, that they're praying this particular blessing on, on Ruth and, and Boaz is because, hey, this is a similar situation. Tamar was somebody who wasn't part of, wasn't part of the people of God, and God used Tamar uh, to build up the nation of Israel, to build up the people of God. And now we have another woman who's outside of God's blessing, outside of God's uh, plan, and he, she's brought in, and may she be like that as well. And that's exactly what we see is going to happen. We also know, and we don't find this in the book of Ruth, but when we go to the Gospel of Matthew and the genealogy of Christ, we, we see that actually Boaz is either the son or perhaps a, a grandson of Rahab, the harlot. You remember the, the story of the children of Israel coming into the, the promised land and Rahab hid the spies. She, she was a prostitute and she hid the spies and she said, I know that Yahweh is the Lord. I've heard what he's going to do. So when you come into 
to take this city, the city of Jericho, remember me so that, so that I won't be destroyed along with them. And, and God spared Rahab. And Rahab was actually one of the descendants of, of Boaz, perhaps the, the mother of Boaz. And so God has done this again and again. And that's what God has done for us. What God is showing us, this is the way I operate. I give grace and I extend mercy to people who don't deserve it. I go out and I reach out and draw people in uh, who are not part of my redemptive purposes, at least from a human standpoint. This is precisely what God has done for each one of us. Romans 9.23 says, In order to make the riches of his glory, uh, make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory, even us, whom he has called, that's us, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles, as indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people, and her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it is said to them, you are not my people, they are called the sons of the living God. That's you and me, folks. We were not the people of God. God has drawn us in. He has included us because he is merciful. That's one of the good things that God is doing in this story. Another good and glorious thing that we see is that God was strengthening the faith of his people. Why would God do this? Why would God work in this way in the life of Ruth and in the life of Naomi and the life of Boaz? Why would God do this? Well, he would do it because he's strengthening the faith of his people. We see the, the need for that strength, those strengthening measures. Remember that this was in the time of the judges. And do you remember it says there were the theme verse of the book of Judges is there was no king in Israel in those days and every man did what was right in his own sight. This was a wicked time. This was a time in which people were not living for the Lord. They were not obeying the law of God. They were not seeking and serving the Lord. It, there was a need for God to bring faith in the life of his people we saw in the life of Naomi and, and Elimelech that they showed at least a, a weak faith by going to Moab for food and then by allowing their sons to marry these Moabite women. And we, see, we saw that even Naomi understood that this was the discipline of the Lord. The hand of the Lord has gone out against me, she said. She recognized that she, had not, she was in need of, of discipline. So this was a time when God's people did not have a strong faith. And through his providence, in this story, he's correcting that problem. He, he's strengthening the faith of, of his people. And that's what, exactly what we see. Naomi left with a weak faith when she went to the land of Moab. She came back. She had a, a faith that was really on life support as she comes back. And she's been through all of these trials. But from that moment forward... Uh, we see God beginning to restore her faith, beginning to strengthen her faith. And, and so when we see just all, just the little act of Boaz's kindness to her, and she says, the Lord has not forgotten us. Praise the Lord, right? And then each scene, the Lord is just, uh, one of the interesting things about the book of Ruth is that each scene kind of comes back and shifts back to Naomi. She seems to be the in the spotlight in all of these stories. Uh, and, and I think what God is showing us is just the strengthening process. He took her through this valley. He took her through these trials so that he could strengthen her faith. And that's what we see in this final scene. What do we see? We, we see Naomi. She doesn't even say a word, does she? But she doesn't have to say a word. Do you see verse 16? What, what do we see there in verse 16? Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and she became his nurse. There's, there's no words that are needed. She came back. She said, I, I went away full and I've come back empty. But now at the end of this story, we don't see someone who's empty. We see someone whose lap is full. God has filled her once again. God has strengthened her faith. What we see in this final scene is a satisfied faith. There's no, not even any need to say anything. Can you imagine the, the feeling of pure elation at that moment? The joy that, that this, all of these unfolding of these events would have brought. He went, she went away full, but now the Lord has, or went away, returned full, and the Lord brought her back empty, but now she's filled once more. As she sits here on the other side of all of this, she knows that the Lord has not forgotten me. 
Remember, she says that the Lord has not forgotten her. And she knows that the hand of the Lord, though she thought it was against her in that moment, there was maybe a sense in which the hand of the Lord was, was moving against her. But in the fullest kind of way, the Lord was not against her. God gave faith to Ruth. And that was part of God's good plan here. But not only that, God strengthened the faith of the, the entire community through this. Sometimes in our, when, when God is working in our life, he's strengthening our faith. Uh, but sometimes he's working to strengthen the faith of others who are, who are watching. And we won't go through it, but we see each scene. As this story unfolds, there are people, whether it's the elders at the gate or it's the women in the town or the women in the neighborhood at the end after the birth, each one of them, they're, they're seeing these things unfold. They're seeing this unfold, and it's strengthening their faith. Look at this. At first, they, they see Naomi come back. Man, you, you look like death warmed over. You don't, is, this, is that even Naomi? And now by the end, they're praising the Lord because of what the Lord has done in Naomi's life and, and through Ruth and, and Boaz. In verse 14, they, they praise the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. They're led to praise God because of what God has done in the life of Naomi. So in the midst of this faithless age, God's providence worked through work to strengthen the faith of Naomi, to bring salvation to a pagan woman, uh, Ruth, and to strengthen the faith of the people in Bethlehem. And this is what we need to recognize. One of the good things that God is doing in your life in the midst of trials is that God is strengthening your faith. Again, when we talk about mysterious providence, there's truth to that, right? I don't really fully understand what God is doing here. Why is God working in this way? Why did God allow my children to experience this? Why did God allow this to happen in my life? I don't, I don't have all of the answers. There, there is a mystery to this, but you can be sure of this. One of the things that God is doing, one of the good things that God is always doing is strengthening the faith of his people when they allow them to go through Trials, that's what God was doing in the life of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. That's what God is doing in your life. Are you in the midst of a trial? Are you walking through a dark period? What, what is God doing? I wish I had the answers. And there's a sense in which we won't know the fullest answers until we, we reach eternity. But that you can know this. God is working to strengthen your faith. I think there's some women here who are, who are doing a Bible study through the book of James. I, I could be wrong. Uh, but, but James chapter 1 Verses 2 through 4 tell us this very thing. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God is, God is perfecting your faith. He's causing steadfastness to be built up. In, in your faith. You see, it's one thing to say, I trust the Lord when everything's going perfectly in life. When, when you understand and your world makes sense and there's no problems and no trials that you're facing, it, it, it seems to be a very easy thing to trust the Lord in the middle of those. It's a much harder thing to learn to trust the Lord when you're going through a dark period in your life and it doesn't make sense and your world seems upside down. It's a much more difficult thing, but God wants you to learn to trust him in that moment. And that's what he's doing. That's one of the things that he's doing in, in your life. Listen, God values, God values strong, mature, steadfast faith. He values it. And, and in fact, he wants to produce it in your life. And that's why he allows you to go through these trials. That's why he allows Ruth and Naomi to go through these trials. Why? Because they had a weak faith. Ruth had no faith at all. He gives her faith. But, but Naomi had a weak faith and God is strengthening it. He's purifying it because he wants it to be a display of his glory. And we see this in 1 Peter 1, verse 6. In this you rejoice, talking about our, our future salvation. You rejoice in that, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Why? Why, why, do we, why is it necessary that we would be grieved by various trials. Why would that ever be necessary? Well, he tells us, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, 
may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see what he's saying there? The tested genuineness of your faith in God's sight is worth more than pure gold. Think of all the wealth. Think of all of the riches of this world and the way that we would value those things. Pure gold. We, we would put a high price on that. And, and God's saying, look, no, no, no. In, in my valuation system and the way that I see things, a tested and a genuine faith is, is worth much more than all of that. And that's what God is doing in your life. He's testing your faith. He's proving your faith. He's producing a strong, steadfast kind of faith. And then finally, one of the good things, the glorious things that God is doing through this trial, through this dark and hard providence, is that God redeemed his people. Now, there are three levels of redemption that are happening in this story. And I want us to see that. God is redeeming his people, but he's doing it on three different levels. The first level is the obvious level, the one that we've seen in the whole story. He's bringing redemption to Naomi and to Ruth. That's how the story ends. In, In their mind, that's all there was to it, right? God allowed me to go through this dark trial. God allowed everything to kind of be stripped away, but then he turned that around. He brought redemption, and now he's restored all of these things. End of story, right? God has redeemed us. Uh, that, that would be a good enough story to tell in and of itself. But there are two other levels of redemption that are happening in this story. Not only was God working in the life of Ruth and Naomi to redeem them, but God was working for all of his people, the people of Israel, to redeem them. Do you see, as I said before, Israel was lost. This was the time, again, I'll, I'll repeat it in the book of Judges, There was no king in that time, and every person, every man and woman, did what was right in their own eyes. They were lost. They were straying away from the Lord. What is is God, what does this story have to do with that? Yeah, maybe one or two people, a few people in this community, their faith is built up, but what does that have to do with the rest of Israel? How does that bring Israel back to the Lord? Well, one of the things that we see At the very end, and really this is the point of why this whole story has been told, is really the genealogy. Sometimes we like to skip over the genealogies. Fortunately for this one, uh, it's a rather short genealogy. Uh, But but do you see what what it says at the end? Uh, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This is how the Lord brought King David onto the scene. That's why we have the book of Ruth in our Bible. Uh, God God worked mysteriously in a lot of different people's lives, but in this particular instance, he was bringing about this man who would be the king, who would lead God's people to worship him, who who, who would bring victory over God's enemies. God was bringing a redeemer through Ruth and through Naomi. They were at a time when when. There was no leadership. God's people were like sheep without a shepherd. There was no Moses anymore. There, there was no Joshua. And, and in the absence of anyone leading them to pursue the Lord, they were running away from the Lord, doing whatever seemed right in their own eyes. But God is going to remedy that problem by providing a man after his own heart, by providing King David, who would lead the people to be faithful to the Lord. Now, oh, Naomi... And Ruth never knew that. They never understood that. They didn't get to see all of that unfold. You and I now, on the other side of it, as we read the rest of the story and we know how everything unfolds, we we get to see it. And we're like, oh, that's great. That's wonderful that God was doing that. And and, and I think the takeaway for us on, on this level of it is just to recognize God may be doing things in your life for future generations that you don't even know what's going on. So you say, I don't understand everything that's happening here. And you're right. You don't understand everything that's happening. But, but again, what you need to see is that there is a purpose in it and that God is working it out for your good and the good of his people and for his glory. And when we stand, and it may be that, it, that it's not until we stand in eternity and we're able to look back on our life, we're, we're able to look back on the rest of the story that we'll see exactly what God was doing. 
But I can guarantee you this, brothers and sisters, all things are working out for your good and for his glory. That's the second level of redemption. But there's a, a third level of redemption. And, and I'm sure you know where we're going with this because this wasn't just about bringing about David, who would be a king, but we know through the line of David that there was a greater king who came, our, our Messiah, our Savior. You see, this wasn't just about Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. It wasn't even just about the people of Israel in the Old Testament. This story is God working out the details of your salvation. You are here today because thousands of years ago, God's providence worked in this way to bring our Messiah, to bring Christ. Jesus is, is the son of David. He came, and, and I mentioned already the, the genealogy in, in the book of, of Matthew, and we find out where did Jesus come from. When, when we go back, we see that he comes from this line, that he comes from these events. And so God was working all of that out. These, these events which took place thousands of years ago brought your salvation. God was working them out for you. A famine, a weak faith, a poor woman from Bethlehem, unexpected and sudden loss, trials, remarkable kindness and love, a daring and unconventional plan, a self-interested man, a surprise birth, and God used it all to bring about your salvation. When we think about God's providence, we need to see that every, every last detail of God's providence is working out for your redemption, for your salvation. That's a glorious truth to know about God. When we understand that and we, we, we step back and we're able to see this truth, doesn't it help us when we're in the midst of those trials? Where God's, God's doing something good here. God is redeeming me. God is building my faith. God, God is saving a people for himself. It is no mystery at all. Providence is not. We, we might be, in a sense, have, have some mystery as far as the details, but we know what God is doing in our lives. Let's glow, go to Romans chapter 8 as we close this morning. I'll just read this in closing because we get the rest of that verse which I quoted earlier. Romans chapter 8. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, well, how do they work for our good? For we know, uh, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might become the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. That's where we're headed. That's what God is doing in your life and in my life. He's leading us to this moment of glorification. But it goes through a pattern in which we become like our Savior. We, we go through trials in order to get there. Pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. And we, we sit here, some of us, in, in the midst of dark trials. And uh, Lord, we don't have all of the answers. We don't know exactly why. Things are working out as they are in terms of specifics. But, Lord, we, we pray that you'd give us the faith to trust you and to know that you're working all things out for, for our good. We pray that you would strengthen our faith. God, we, we, we need grace to trust you more. We pray that you would just give us a glimpse of, of your redemptive purposes in, in our life, that you would help us keep that perspective in our mind and in the forefront uh, before our eyes. Uh, as we look into our lives and see the trouble that we're going through. Lord, I pray for those who are experiencing that, that your grace would be sufficient for them in, in this moment. And we pray all of this in the name of Christ. Amen.